So you might know Steve Hamilton from his $30 million car collection that he showcases on YouTube, but you might not know about his billion dollar business that actually funds everything that he started when he was just 18 years old. And today he breaks down exactly how he did it and the unbelievable secrets of how to run a billion dollar business on this episode of Smash the Like Button. And subscribe because we're closing in on 400,000 subscribers and it's one click away. It would mean the world to us and it's free. With that said, let's get on with the episode. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Ice Coffee Hour. I am Steve Hamilton and I am super pumped to be here today. Hold that thought, Steve. Before you go into that, I want to thank today's sponsor, Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Are we not addressing the fact we just changed clothes? Uh, we don't need to. All right, because we're in a sponsorship bit. And listen, for anyone who knows me knows that I love saving money, which is exactly why something like Rocket Money is absolutely perfect. With Rocket Money, you could cancel unwanted subscriptions, lower your bills, set up budgets, monitor your credit score, and get a clear picture of your finances all in one place. What they do is they basically find recurring charges that keep showing up in the same amount from the same vendor, and then they let you know in their portal so that if you're no longer interested in them, you just click cancel. It's really easy. And in addition to that, I've actually been using Rocket Money for a while now, and I absolutely love how I can monitor my credit score and also set up automatic savings all in the same very simple UI. It's also incredibly easy to sign up for, and there are so many other features that we can't go fully into because we have Steve uh, waiting for us over <laughs> here. But anyway, check it out with the link in the description. It would help out our channel tremendously because we got to get our conversions up. <laughs> please, please, I'm being honest. So if you guys want to try it out literally for free, check out Rocket Money com slash ICH or use the link in the description down below. It would mean the world to us. It's a great app. I seriously, I've been using them for years and uh, I think you will like them too. The link is down below. Now let's get back to the podcast. Thank you so much for making it. Thank Seems you. Like you've had a, we've both had a crazy trip this last day. We yes. just came back from New York minutes ago. We set up and we're here at like 10 p.m. at night. So it's yes. like 1 a.m. New York time. And you told us that you just traveled from Hawaii yeah, I got home from Hawaii yesterday, um, was in Chicago for 20 hours, and then flew right back out here at 3 a.m. Chicago time to, what is that, 1 a.m. Vegas time, and then my body's still on 11 p.m. Hawaii time, so I don't even understand okay. what's happening right now. And what brings you to Vegas? Uh, we are here shooting a show for uh, Amazon Prime. It's called Banging Gears, and so we're racing... JDM vehicles with European vehicles in the same horsepower and trying to see who has the best time trial along with you know, drag racing. It's like racing around basically the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That place is badass, by the way. There's a, isn't I mean, you know this area, right? And there's a mm -hmm. military Air Force base right there. So we're right. sitting there yeah. and all day long there are these crazy jets flying all over us. It was really surreal to be there today. Did you already do the races? Um, So it's it's it was a pretty messy, uh, we're the first, they're shooting the first two episodes of like 14 and they got a lot of organizational stuff that they got to get together at this point. So I would say that in two days, I've only been here today, but Tommy and the other crew were there yesterday as well. In two days, they may have got five minutes worth of footage shot. So tomorrow is the wow. day that they got a lot of makeup to do. It's a lot different than YouTube because on yeah. YouTube, it's like every moment is content. You just yeah. turn the camera on with something like Amazon and imagine there's yeah. so much that goes in behind the scenes. Yeah. And I can, and I can do one spiel. Um, I can talk for 10 minutes and they can cut that 27 times where this one's a little, it needs to be a little less aggressive on the cuts. And I think there's 20 crew members there. It's, it's kind of insane how, how many people are needed to make that type of production. But yeah. Are you driving your cars? Are those the, th yes. the three? Yeah. We've got the GT3 RS, the 765 LT and the 918 out here today. And what cars are you racing? What are the I'm GDM racing the cars? GT. Somehow I got, uh, they said so they wanted me to do the GT3 RS, which is the cheapest of the three, but also the workhorse on the track. That thing does not break no matter how hard you drive it. 
I love it. So I'm looking at these yeah. cars that you just parked out front of the house. They yeah, look so absolutely giddy. incredible. For me, I guess I'm not very like cultured when it comes to you know luxury cars and everything. Sure. So I'm looking Hyper at these cars. cars I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess uh-huh. it's like Hyper cars. a couple hundred grand a pop, something like that. Is yeah. that is that about in the the ballpark? <laughs> um, the GT3 RS is about 250. The orange one, the McLaren 765LT, those are going for about 600. And then the gray, the Porsche 918, those are with the I have the Wysock package, so it's about two million. Th- that's a two yes. million. Yeah, that's a two million, yeah, million is, dollar car. Yes, yes, and and Natalia is driving it on the track. Um, so and we're like literally racing these things full speed so and there's no insurance on the track and how much does that worry you when you're driving just like because here's the thing i was driving a car just recently and uh there was a semi in front of me and it ran into a cardboard box and the cardboard box flew over the semi and it hit my car and it did a little bit of scuff like does that scare you something like that could happen Way, way less than it should like i i have a a weird lack of fear about it um so like at the Hamilton collection, we're all about sharing our cars with the community. So it's not uncommon for me to have eight, 10 friends over. Um, we've had followers come over and, and drive all the cars to dinner. We did a homecoming thing where I let 16 students take all my hyper cars actually to homecoming unchaperoned. So I just have an irrational lack of fear about it and I should, but I don't know. And, and then the Senna wrecked too. Like you, you probably don't know about it particularly, but I had a $1.2 million mm-hmm. car get T-boned about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And, uh, that changed it for a few weeks, and now I'm now I'm back to the irrational so, lack of fear. How did it get wrecked, and how did it feel? Yes. Like, how did it make you feel? What was the initial gut reaction? Uh, we were we were with James Stradman, and uh, it wasn't him, by the way. We had ten cars getting ready to go out to dinner. We were celebrating, and we got out of my neighborhood ten seconds out of my neighborhood, and I'm like the lead car, and uh, the last car is the one that got hit. So I get a call, and it's um, nobody that we we put on camera. Um, but he says, uh, I just got hit and I'm like, you'd think that I would say, are you okay? But, but he was talking to me and he sounded okay. So my first gut reaction was, and I'm not a horrible human, I swear. Um, my gut reaction was, is it like, is the car okay? (laughs) (laughs) Again, he's talking to me. He's like, all right, Steve. I'm like, dude's talking to me. Clearly he's okay. Um, and then he goes, no, it's, it's pretty bad. I'm like, oh my God. Um, and so I made a U-turn and I get. Well, right after I make the U-turn, I I call my our videographer. I'm like, dude, you got to get rolling. Right, like you got to roll this. Like I'm not saying this is a great vlog, but we need to document this, and like people want to know what happened. Um, so Aiden is our videographer, and he starts rolling right away. And then when we get there, um, again, Aiden was not the driver, um, but we get there, and I I realize that Aiden was the passenger, and I'm like telling him to like st- he got he just got hit at 40 miles an hour and i'm telling the poor guy to video this and i'm like oh my gosh Aiden, i'm so sorry i didn't know you were in the car but dude had the camera ready and he was filming um so props to him but yeah so that uh he just pulled right out into traffic basically like i have the subdivision he pulled out onto a busy street didn't see the lady oh got T-boned. wow so it was his fault it was his fault yeah Holy nice. and just a special yeah. thank you to country financial insurance which camera am I looking at? Because I want to just... That, that one right, right there. A special thank you to Country Financial for keeping me insured and not dropping me as a result. They have actually really fantastic rates. And I'm not just saying this for yeah. their like fantastic coverage. They're still keeping me insured. We're being extra careful with the vehicles. Are they covering it? Yeah. They're rather going to be mailing me a check in a week or so. How does, it, how does that work? Is that a stated value? This is all new for me. When I had to insure the 4GT... It's not a normal process like you would call up Geico. I mean, yeah. I want to insure. They actually dropped the Tesla Roadster. They said it was uninsurable after a year of insuring it. That's really weird. Parts. They insured 100% of my cars, and there's 
almost 30 of them in the fleet. And I have funky ones like the Countach, the Testarossa. Um, I've had an old Porsche Safari. Like there's nothing that they haven't insured. Some of them took a week to get back with rates, mm -hmm. but my insurance is incredibly cheap. I pay less than $30,000 a year for all cars. I know. I know. But it's because you have so many of them that like, well, you I can't guess, drive. but you, you know what? But What's the miles you put in. What is it? Yes. Uh, mine all in is probably $3,300 a year for yeah. four, four cars. I think a lot of it has to do with the air. A lot of it does have to do with the area. And we're in a yeah. very conservative town that's very Mine's low Mine's miles. Mine is like, oh yeah, I'll put a 200 miles a year in the GT. I'll yeah. put uh, 300 on the Tesla. Like that's... You know, I just get everything down with really yeah. high deductibles, by yep. the way. All of mine are like max deductibles. Yeah. Uh, what happened with the Senna, though? Was that just a stated value? Yeah, so, so they call it a they call it a cash value, I think. But I ended up, they were extremely reasonable. Like I ended up getting, those are going for about $1.25 right now. Mm -hmm. I got that plus registration plus tax. So I'm getting about a $1.4 million check from them. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And then is the plan to, do they take the car then yes, afterwards? Yes, So they take it. Okay. I tried fiercely to get the car back. Houston Crosta really wanted the car. So I was trying to negotiate something yeah. for him and they wouldn't do it. They had to send it to Copart. There's actually an only law that prohibits Co anything Part. nine years or, or yeah. less. Yeah. If it's wrecked, yeah. they can't give it or sell it wow. back to the person. And you, you crashed your Bugatti, right? No. Um, all right. All right. Yes, um, oh, I have a yeah. habit of scraping cars as I pull into driveways, like like I did your your <laughs> GT3, my GT3s pulling into your driveway. Um, I scraped the crap out of that. And that's a really low driveway too. And you just have to come at a bare, like any like a, any semblance of an angle will not scrape. You just uh, can't go like head on. Yeah, or just put the front lift on too. Oh yeah, which work. I did not do. Yeah. I just didn't realize it was that, and then it scraped bad. But yeah, Bugatti, I was pulling into David Dobrik's driveway, and his drive like Beverly Hills is really hilly. It's called Beverly Hills, right? But I didn't realize that, so I like get in there and it just. I'm like, oh my gosh! Did you, but did you see the driveway going up and thought that like you would I think could, I could do it, or you just weren't thinking? Uh, I think that I was hitting it at an angle, and that's what she said. Um, but I was hitting it at an angle, and uh, it wasn't a good enough angle. Yeah. And yeah, lesson learned. I just won't park in this driveway. Anymore. Like it's really steep. Yeah. I shouldn't have. I what, shouldn't have pulled it in. What was your thought when you first heard that crunch? Was it like, um, this is good content or like, what did I just do? <laughs> yeah. When I, whenever I mess up and I mess up plenty, um, I'm always like, yeah, you guys can roll it. Yeah. You can film it. Like, it's fine. I'm human. Um, and so yeah, it's both. And then David Dobrik whips out his phone right away and he's like, <laughs> oh my, I'm like, all right, well if he's doing it, it's going public. Like, and he did, he was a good guy. Like yeah. he checked with us to make sure it was okay. And, and I'm like, of course. And, uh, it's almost like, and you can't even really see me in it. And the guy that was my passenger, He's getting texts. Everybody assumed it was him. And like, he's clearly the passenger, but he's the only guy you can see. Mm. So to other people that meant he was driving. So he took most of the heat and, but like we were heading to Monterey days later. So it made that car super like famous, well-known because their TikTok, our TikTok blew up. So it was, I think it was a good thing. It, it raised yeah. our awareness. What damage did it do to the car? Not bad. It, it was far less than we expected. There was like a two foot long scrape on the very under part of the car. But you know what, Steve, before you question why we change clothes again, we got to tell you about something that we do feel would uh, actually help your business quite a bit, and that would be our sponsor, StreamYard. Steve, I know you've been wanting to start a podcast just like us, but if you wanted to do so, you don't need to build out such an expensive studio like this. Steve, I know you have a lot of questions right now, but just 
bite your tongue for a quick second because StreamYard is a live streaming studio platform that's great for content creators who want to create high quality content on a budget. Now, Steve and uh, anybody else watching, I know you in particular do a lot of content creation on YouTube and you create really high quality videos. But with this, you'd be able to get high quality content right from your browser and stream it directly to all the social media sites all in one place. I think I will download StreamYard now exclamation mark. Well, hold on, Steve. Don't get StreamYard right now. Wait for the end of the pitch, man. I'm sorry. Whether you just want to start live streaming or easily create new content, StreamYard makes it simple to get professional and polished concrete every single time. Graham, I think you meant to say content, not concrete. But regardless, guys, just check out matter. StreamYard with the link down below in the description. It helps us out a ton. Thank you so much, StreamYard. And back to the podcast. We got to tell them. Okay, just sign up, please. It's crazy how... And listen, guys, if you're on the fence about signing up and you're not quite sure about it, I'll make you a deal. Actually, we will make you a deal. Comment down below and let us know what it will take to get you to sign up for StreamYard. Whether it's like, you know what, I, I dare Graham to eat 10 hard-boiled eggs, and, and then I'll do it. And then, uh, guess what? I'll do it on the next podcast. So uh, if we make that deal, just comment down below. And include Jack. Don't yeah, make this just I, I me. I could eat 10 <laughs> We get to drive all these cars every day, and it feel, it's, like, normalized now. Like, it's like, oh, well, I, I got to take the 765 LT. All right. Like, it's just normalized for us. And, and you have people that come into our, our headquarters, and they're, like, so thrilled. They never see the – like, they don't see a LaFerrari. They don't see a 918, a P1. And, like, we don't – we just forget how, like, significant it can be to someone. Like, I'm getting letters about how it changed people's lives. It motivated them. And, like, you probably get the same all the time. And uh, it's neat to see that. And we always have to remember that that it's significant to people. So um, we always want to make sure that we're – I know I'm pivoting here, but giving mm -hmm. people – like, it's so important yeah. to give people access to these. And you'd be amazed at how many people have driven that Bugatti. Probably probably 200 different people have driven that thing. Um, it's – I'm a little bit insane. So but how many miles – How many, how much are you selling it for? I'm hoping to get around – 2.8 to $3 million. It's going up for auction at Sotheby's Amelia Island in Florida. Um, we determined that would probably be the best way to, to sell it off. Um, Why Sotheby's not like bring a trailer or like a... It's hard because we were trying to go a dealer route and the dealer's like, well, I have to be honest about its history. And I'm like, it's always good to be honest. The problem is that on YouTube, you see the 1% of the time that I'm hooning that car and like going crazy. Where 99% of the time, like I'm just driving and cruising in the car. I mean, I like to have fun with it, but um, the dealers that I've talked to, like they have a specific clientele that they need to be very forthright and they got to say, yes, this car was abused for, but really the car was meticulous. I maintain all my cars really well. There's a lot of influencers out there that don't, um, but I maintain them really well and we really do take care of them so that we can go beast them for that one to 5%. And so the dealer can't really tell that story according to them, like this clientele, they need to disclose everything mm -hmm. at auction. It's kind of at other people's discretion. So um, it's at their discretion to do the diligence. So we're not trying to hide anything. Like I could have painted the blue part black and, and nobody would have ever known that mm -hmm. it was my Bugatti, but we, we want to fix up the blue and it's, it's just, it's just gives people their own opportunity to make their own assumptions versus the dealer okay. steering them into it. Or, uh, bring a trailer is, bring a trailer is amazing. I like, love that site. I'm addicted to it every day. Oh, yeah. I'm just scrolling. I've bought several cars. Yeah. I've bid on 10 different cars on there. Yeah. Um, bring a trailer actually has really high standards for you to be able to list. I didn't even realize it. Hmm. Um, I bought a Testarossa that had like, I, nothing was disclosed, flood damage, frame damage when I got it. And I'm like, I reported it to them and they, they like forced the seller to take this thing back. Um, and they banned that car from being listed again. So I, that transaction wow. alone, I'm like, okay, if I'm buying and bring a trailer, like your reputation actually, is so important. Yeah, you're, yeah. Bu you're buying a pretty good car 
And uh, I listed a car, my Porsche Safari, and like really thorough, picky process to get it on there. Um, so I'm, I'm impressed and it. it built my confidence about really buying anything That's else. That's how I got the GT. Hell yeah. Bring it yeah. Together. Yeah. We got an M5 from there, and I, I actually got that same Porsche Safari from there. I think that's all I've gotten from there. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. How do you get an allocation for the new Bugatti? Uh, so How does they that are, work? What's, they the, are also, what's the process? And what's the process like for buying one? Yeah. How does that work? Uh, so up until the last, like, three to five years, it like Bugatti did not sell out of anything. Like, you, you could call a dealer and get an allocation for something. And, and now there's a lot of, like, young money, young people that that can become influencers and that can afford these Bugattis like the hypercar market is is shifting drastically um, you have a lot more youth buying hypers and then you have a lot more people modifying and doing crazy things to them without hurting the value actually like it, it's amazing in the last two years how you can go modify and do stupid stuff and, and you're probably not going to hurt the value where two years ago like there goes 500 grand if you do an exhaust system on your Bugatti what was the question again <laughs> uh, how do you get an allocation oh yeah what's the and why was building the process up to it. of buying a Bugatti so so back then easy now allocations are all politics and like i don't like just candidly like they're politics and it's it's knowing someone unfortunately the bugatti one's kind of a funky story so i offended bugatti directly they had their i was told by their old um i think he was their number one dude in the usa but he's like your video where you're pulling around natalia on like a snowboard and you pushing the car and then you dynoing and doing all this stuff. He's like, that offended our factory workers. He's like, we had a company-wide meeting top down here at Bugatti for an hour about your video. And he's like, at the end of the day, like, we just want, like, I had to explain to them, like, we just want you to have fun in your car. Like, it's your car and I need to tell them to that. So I had, at that time when I'm having that call with them, I had an allocation with them. Well, I had a, I had a like first spot on the waiting list and they said I was sure to get that allocation. Mm -hmm. And then like, and then I get that call from him, and then all of a sudden, like, they're telling me I'm not going to get that allocation. So I'm like, something's fishy here. Like, are they, are they playing games because of my channel? And I still don't have an answer on that. But then I met a great dude that had a customer cancel named Tim out of uh, uh, O'Gara Coach in Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I actually have an allocation for an SS. Uh, confirmed allocation. Uh, customer canceled. So... I bet Bugatti was very happy to hear that I secured another one that was guaranteed. Wow. And uh, a lot of times you have to pay. Like, there's a whole middle market to that thing where, where people are, like, marking up allocations. It's it's really obnoxious, and, like, I kind of can't stand it that that there's middlemen that, that are like, hey, I know this allocation. I can't tell you who it is or where you're going to get it. Um, I need $200,000 on top of it. And I'm like, I just, that just, I get it. It's business. Like, I'm a businessman. Um, people are in, the, in it to make money, but it just drives me crazy that, that there has to be a fee paid like that to get an allocation. But Tim was a great dude. No fee on top of it. Mm. Just had to wire him $600,000 right away. Another $1.5 million, like, I don't know, three months later. Um, that's the other thing. Um, oh, so now, so that's how, like, I got an allocation okay. for my Pagani Utopia. Much lower production count on that. Um, just having a really good, that there's another story behind that, that I'm not going to get into. There was a lot of drama there too. There's a lot of drama and politics behind a lot of this. And like, I don't play that That's game. That's what really. Shmi was telling us of just how intricate it is, especially I think with Ferrari is one of those companies yeah. where you really have to get in there, show uh, appreciation for the brand buy certain number of cars. They won't tell you what it is. It's yeah. a black box, but when you get in, then they'll give you these allocations. And, and I won't play that game. Like. I'll be honest, like if there's a problem with the Bugatti, I've expressed it. Like I've, I've unfortunately thrown Bugatti of Chicago under the bus because there's been some issues with them servicing my car. Um, I, I've been public about what it is like. I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to give honest input always on our channel. Um, and that will hurt me in some cases. Um, and I'll modify my Ferrari. I'm not going to specify which one, but Ferrari really doesn't <laughs> like, especially when it's hyper level All cars. Right. I'm, I'm probably never going to be on that list for Ferrari because they have such a deep bench of people that, and they're only touching, you know, 5% of people that it's, that's never going to happen. Lamborghini. Yeah. I've made it to the lounge a few times, but, um, but, um, right now, good favor with Bugatti. Pagani Utopia was a challenging one to get. Ramac Navera, not, not difficult because they're not sold out. It depends on, on the exclusivity, like how well they're selling. Um, I'm trying to think what else we have on order. Um, the new Lamborghini replacement that's replacing the Aventador. We saw that at the lounge. It's very, very pretty. How many horsepower is that? I can't say. I don't think. Oh, <laughs> no. My guess is 800. It's got to be eight. I was, under N- I was under NDA, All so right. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot on can that you, one. Could you give us a, a hint of anything? Like um, a little tease of... Uh, <laughs> without getting sued? I could, let, me, <laughs> let me think how... I would say that it's, it seems very different looking. Like it's, it's Really? It's, it looks really nice. I'm really excited for it. It may or may not have a pretty significant horsepower jump. And uh, it may or may not um, have solved the rough shifting problem in the Aventador that I really hate. Yeah. And that's why I sold my Aventador. Um, but it may or may not. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> wow. So tell yes. us a bit of uh, your background, how you got started yeah. and everything. Yeah. So when I was 19 years old, I um, basically had this epiphany. Let's that, go back even further. Hate to okay. interrupt you. But Do it. I think your story... Uh, just being younger, not doing well in school, but yeah. like taking on like side businesses, like always being yeah. an entrepreneur. You're, you're always hustling. Yes. So, yeah, it came from nothing. Like yeah. five different elementary schools, zero money, um, family on welfare, back then food stamps, then it turned into the link card in Illinois. Um, we had nothing. Like four kids were sharing one. Like we had two bunk beds in a bedroom. And so you have to like, you just learn how to be frugal. You learn how to like fight for everything that you get. And uh, so... Like early on, I was, I had that entrepreneurial spirit. Like I, sh- I set up a, a bike shop in sixth grade where I was repairing local bikes. Um, I started working as a caddy at age 13. So I've, I've actually been working since I was 13 years old, 15 plus hours a week. Well, it got a lot more as, as I started my business. But then I worked at McDonald's because it paid a little better from 14 to 16. Then a local grocery store um, for about two or three years in the deli. So I, I worked like I had to sacrifice sports in high school to go work because I wanted stuff like I, I needed nice clothing. I needed a car. Mm. Um, and so that I think just that that work ethic or just like drive as a kid. And like I didn't want to repeat the mistakes of my parents, to be honest with you. Like there's there's a, I don't know. I would say that I was the most rebellious like um, and I've said it in my videos and I don't want to beat a dead horse. But like I've never actually drank. I've never had a sip of alcohol because there was abuse like growing up, like my parents abused alcohol and you see that. And I'm like, at first I just, I made a decision not to do it because, um, it was like rebellious. It's like, I, I'm going to show them that I can't do this. Like that, like, it's so frustrating that I have to deal with this. Like, I'm going to show them that you can live life without alcohol. And then I, I was fine till 18. I didn't do it at 21. I didn't do it at 25. And I'm like, well, if I made it that far, I'll just, there's no need to really ever drink. Um, same with work. Like, you know, there's, there's, certain aspects of my parents' life that trickled into their, their work life that made it imp- really hard for them to, to rise above and, uh, and be better. You know, my parents did work hard. Like they, they provided for us and, and I appreciate them for doing that. Um, but ultimately they just, they didn't have the skill set or maybe the drive to, mm-hmm. to get out of that rut. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. 
Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Um, so, I bought some wheels for my car. Um, I had a 94Z28 that I worked hard to, to buy at the time. Bought some wheels for that. Wanted bigger wheels later. Don't know why the don't know why it didn't click earlier, but when I started looking for the 18s to replace the 16s that I had bought, looking on eBay, I'm seeing the price of them, and I'm like, huh, I wonder, that's where the frugal part came in. I'm like, I wonder if I can find these cheaper, like directly from the manufacturer versus having to go to a Firestone mm-hmm. or somewhere. And then, of course, you call the manufacturer, and they say, no, you, you, like, you have to buy this through a dealer. Like, you can't buy this from... So then I called the next day and I'm like, hey, this is Steve from Firestone. What's my price on those uh, Eagle 077 18 inch? And like the vendor's like, well, they're, you know, $88 on sale wheel right now. Like they didn't even check. Like I, th- that was just fine that I said that. Wow. That, that like that How one vendor. How old were you at that? Uh, I was 19. Okay. So that that's the only vendor. Like, like a lot of things happen. I mean, you ha- I, I hate when people say that, that it's all about luck. It's, it's more about timing and, and taking advantage of it because everyone else had that same opportunity that I did that year. Um, they just didn't take advantage of it, right? But that was the, if I called any other place, they probably would have shut me down or they would have said, okay, what's your name? Like they would have checked a list. Mm-hmm. This one manufacturer was just very like podunk, um, didn't really care about that stuff. So I looked on eBay and I'm like, huh, 88 bucks a wheel. That's you know roughly 360 bucks a set. These are selling for $550 a set on eBay and this guy's selling them, I'm like, well, damn, that's 200 bucks profit. And that, that's, that's a week or two. Uh, what was I working? Maybe 30 hours a week at nine bucks an hour. So yeah, that was like, it was a week, week, about a week's of labor. Mm-hmm. And I could make that like just listing an auction. Um, so like I couldn't sleep that night. I knew it was going to be, I just knew it was going to be successful. I'd never felt that way before in my life. And uh, so rolled up to the manufacturer and uh, the next day and started talking to them. I gave them a little business card that I had from installing radios on the side, I didn't have it set up as a legal LLC or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just a side gig. And like, again, this was the right manufacturer, right time. Only guys that would take a business card and start selling me product. Like everyone else needs a resale tax ID. They need like, sure. they need a lot of information um, and not personal checks, which I had. I was using personal checks. They gave me pricing. They, <laughs> they set me up. didn't question it. Didn't question it. So okay. I, I got on eBay that evening and I started listing product that they had in stock right away. I'm like, I'm selling seven, eight sets the first week. So really I'm, I'm all of a sudden making $2,000 or a thousand call it, you know, a thousand dollars my first week. And like that, that changed my life and my perspective. So from then on, it was all about listing as much product and brands as possible. Were you Maybe. underpricing the other people? Yeah, absolutely. Just to undercut them a little bit. I was, yeah. Get the volume. Yeah. We, we were yeah. listing a lot of product that wasn't listed. So it wasn't just, Hey, I'm going to go find a guy like it was, I'm going to list as much as humanly possible because there was not, there were not many people on eBay selling wheels in 2003. Um, so a lot of it was undercutting because my overhead was, was nothing. Like I was working out of my parents' apartment. Um, so that made it a little bit easier to beat the guy that's in the mm-hmm. shop. Uh, but and you're storing all these wheels in the apartment. They would sit in the foyer. Uh, so most of it, the other beautiful thing about this is I would get paid before I'd go buy the products. So like I would list oh. 20 sets of wheels. I get paid the 550. I go pay the 360. I instantly have that profit, and then I use it to ship as well. So, like, we got paid for everything ahead of time. Um, you know, fast forward to now, we have 30 million dollars worth of stock. We learned that along the way pretty quickly. I learned that if you stock it in quantity, you get better deals, you get more margin. Of course, there's more risk, right? 
Um, but yeah, like I would go pick up maybe 16 wheels and, and they'd be sitting in the foyer from the delivery and then I'd have to prep them and strap them together and go ship them. Um, and then there eventually there started being like three months into it. That's when I figured out the bulk thing. So I rented a little office space, like, I don't know, a block down the road. And so that's where we started. So I'm this 19 year old kid that has his own office. I don't know. It was pretty, it was pretty surreal. It was pretty cool. How much were you making back then? I think in my first full year. So I started June of 03. Um, I think that I probably, I let's say that even that seven months that I had that, I probably maybe made 50 to 60 K. So almost, wow. uh, almost 10 grand a month. And then like, uh, the, the full year after that, it might've been 150, 200 K pretty, pretty amazing. Um, you know, when I was in college, I was like, I want to make $50,000 a year. Like I want to do sales. I want to make mm-hmm. 50 grand. Like that was the pinnacle for me. Um, and back then adjusted for inflation, that's probably closer to 80 K maybe right now, 90 sure. K. <laughs> so I don't want to artificially make people think that that's like, that's like a low goal. Like that was, that was my goal. Yeah. And that was, you made it. And like, I did that while in college in seven months. When did you decide, or did you decide to drop out of college? I did not, but I, I only, I was in a two year college called college of DuPage. Okay. And so I started this like, um, what would have been after my, I was kind of just finishing my first year. And so it took me two more years to finish a two year. So three total years to finish a two year program, mm-hmm. but I wanted to get that done. And I've even like, I've even thought about going back and getting a bachelor or master's. Like I actually signed up and enrolled at DePaul. Then they closed down the campus by me, like right after I signed up and then I would have had to try like, but then I'm like, you know what, do I need this piece of paper? Like I, I wanted that because I felt inadequate or something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. And I'm like, do I, do I really need that at the end of the day? Like, am I going to go waste? I shouldn't, I, I only mean this as it relates to me. Cause I, I think that for many people that it's important to go to college. Right. And, and unfortunately when people make hiring decisions, I think that, uh, even though someone may be qualified without it, just decided against it because I'm like, you know what? I've, I've done pretty well for myself. Like I don't need, I don't need to go get that piece of paper. And, and I've, I've felt at peace with that decision ever since then. How did you grow the business though? Do you ever have any yeah. problems being taken seriously, being like 19 or 20 and like try to figure it out on your own? I would say like, I've, I've always had, so I've always had the mindset, like I've never been content even where, like, I don't feel much different now than I did when I was 19. Um, and part of that drive is like never, never being content and never feeling like you've achieved peak success. And so it's always about like, cool, I've done this uh, and immediately get working on what else can grow the business. Um, so it's like, it's having that attitude and that drive. So we started off with wheels in 03. Mm-hmm. Um, by 08, we started doing tires. We were one of, if not the first guy to offer assemblies on eBay. So like in 2008, you could buy a full wheel and tire package from us on eBay. I went and figured like everything I figured out myself. I went to a shop and figured out how to mountain balance, uh, made sure that we were profitable, checked shipping on it, and uh, it was good. And then once that was okay, I went and hired a few people. Actually, we had my whole family work. We had my brother mm-hmm. Joel, my brother Mike my sister, Jackie, that was like our team. And then my cousin, it was a five man team. Mm-hmm. Um, super cool working with all your siblings too. Um, and, uh, and then it was, okay, well we've, we've done eBay. We've done room and tire packages. How can we build our own brand? Like eBay, there's no real value in having an eBay store. Like anybody can come in and knock you out unless the product you're selling is your own. Um, then there's uniqueness to it. But we went and launched uh, Mr. Wheel Deal with a partner and a friend of mine. That was our own brand. Um, and then, uh, that was kind of a website that didn't have a shopping cart. Like you'd go there, you'd get a quote request and there'd be a lot of interaction back and forth. Um, and then in 2013, I was approached by a guy named Sean who had built like this awesome brand called custom offsets. 
And what they did was they were just a Fitment gallery. You'd, you'd go there and you'd upload a picture of your truck. So it was, it was a big showcase for what vehicles and then what modifications and what wheels you put on your vehicle. And he had like 20,000 trucks uploaded, a strong communal gathering. And, and he bought wheels and tires from us. And he's like, how can I monetize this? Like, I have this engaged audience. I'm like, well, we have a database. We have a very healthy and robust database. We have customer service, mounting, balancing, vendor relationships. Like we have all this stuff figured out. So we, we worked with him to do some logic around bundling package. We helped him with some of the developing and the backend stuff. Their job was, was primarily to maintain the website and then to market it. And then they got a cut. So that, that, and then same arrangement with the company we, we now run called Fitment Industries and Custom Offsets and Fitment Industries are the two biggest brands that we have. Mm-hmm. Same kind of partnership that happened where we were doing a lot of the stuff in the background, they were doing the marketing. And then some other ventures launched along the way, including our own brands, Anthem, Archon, Anovia. And, and then we, we had all these funky things. I had a partner in Mr. Wheeldale, I had them doing this. There were like six different people involved kind of competing against each other. And so in 2019, early in the year, we merged all the companies together, created like an ownership structure around it. And it added like, like from December 31st, 2018 to January 1st, one day changed my value by giving up some of the company and merging my value increased dramatically because now you have all this complex, goofy partnerships and arrangements all bundled up into one common entity mm-hmm. with one set of books. Um, so that was one of the best moves that I made. And we've grown, we've grown 35 to 50% every single year we've been in business besides last year. Last year was a little challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we merged, it was like 50, 70, 70%. Um, so it really helped for us all to be on the kind of the same page. How did you decide to bring in all the cars and start the Hamilton yeah. collection? So partner Sean in 2018, I was stepping out of a massage place. <laughs> All right. Legitimate. That's not uh, what she it, said. It was, yeah, no, I heard that. <laughs> Fully, actually, there's a, there's a story about that. But oh, but no, was, no, no, we got to hear the story. So, Come on. All right, so it's, it's weird how it all ties together because it was all on the same night. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm with right. my brother, Mike, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, my wife and I go to these like $25 like foot feel spa or like Asian massage spot and like I know they're legit because there's usually like four people in the same room together so you're like there's not they're not going to give you a a happy ending with three other people around you right so we find this one that's still open uh right by us in Winfield very reputable like nice nice town um and I'm like oh they're still open so we get in there and the first thing we realize is okay well there's separate rooms at this one but it's still called Asian spa I think is what it was called so we get in there and uh I step into the room and the lady's like I'm getting in my boxers and she's like, no, no. Like you have to get naked. I'm like, she's like holding up. She's like, just can't see it. Somehow she knows in my boxers. So I'm like, okay, all right. Like I've done naked massages before. Like, all right. I was all covered up. So I get in the bed covered up and it was just a very different kind of like very different massage. Uh, she was just like, there was some grazes happening, but I'm like, all right. Like, uh, and then at the end, like 45 minutes mm-hmm. later, again, nothing, nothing full physical had happened. But at the mm-hmm. end she pulls the, the towel off of me. And she goes, you, she grabs, she grabs it and she goes, you want, and this was a test of, of my faithfulness no. to my wife yeah. actually, because you're in like a trans, right? You're like, you're like fully asleep, like at peace, calm. And then like someone just grabs you and like, it took, they're laughing out I, there. I hear laughing. It took like, it took everything I had, but it also took, but it also was a quick and I'm just like, no, 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 no. Like that, that I was put to the test because there's no emotional connection with this lady. Like nobody could have ever known, but I'm like, no. And I came home and I told my wife about it and 
Um, what was her reaction? Would she just want to call this place up and like ring him? She's out like, you should like, report him. I'm like, I'm not gonna end up in the newspaper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, what if they have like Steve camera? Caught. Yes, yes. Massage. So yeah. there, there were some other things along the way where you go back in hindsight and you're like, okay, well, like she was on top of me, like rubbing my shoulder, but like gyrating her hips by my head, and I'm like, all right, well, some of the Asian massages are weird where they do get on top of you, but she yeah, was right. a little like her. Her privates were a little closer to my head, but like you don't think you wow. don't. It doesn't add yeah. up until she pulls off the towel and grabs your junk. Um, now where the story ends is okay. I'm wa- I'm walking out of the spa. <laughs> I look at my brother Mike, and uh, he looks he looked like he was sleeping, and I'm like, Mike, like you know, did did they offer you something? He's like, no, I was sleeping. He's like, wait, they offered you something? Runs back in. No. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 Mike, yeah. get out of here. And then I get a call like right around that time yeah. where I'm texting Sean, and he's like. Uh, and, and I only remember that it was that day because of what happened. Yeah. He's like, bro, just get the event. He sent me a link for an Aventador at uh, Dallas Lamborghini. And it's, it's part of the same group. I got my utopia from later. And that's mm-hmm. how I forged that relationship. He's like, just get it. Like I had been kind of toying around with the idea and he pushed me over the edge to get my very first supercar, the Lamborghini Aventador. And, uh, Fell in love with that and then rapidly bought a Porsche GT3 RS, I think, months later. And then I got my McLaren 720S. And and then I realized that, and I mean this sincerely, but I realized how how much people love these cars. And, like, I, I genuinely love sharing my cars. Like, I told you about the irrational lack of fear. It's because mm-hmm. the, the joy that I get from seeing other people having access to these is, is so great that I, I just don't worry. I don't worry about the liability, and maybe I should. But, like, just seeing, just seeing other people interact with it, getting access to them, I'm like, I'm like you know... And I just really love cars. I'm like, there's, there's nothing stopping me from growing this fleet. And so it was just a systematic purchasing of more and more cars. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, it seems like a bit of a spur of the moment decision to go and buy an Aventador. All, all uh, of my cars have been like a spur, for, like 90% of how them. Much, how much were you making to justify that you could just like, all right, you know what? I think that's yeah. a good decision. I want to do that. At that time, um, probably... I've, I've always been actually pretty conservative. Like, mm-hmm. like, even though I'm saying I bought an Aventador, like I, I typically live well below my, I, I have an, a nice home. I have nice cars, but I'm typically well below my means. Um, and so I would say that I was probably making one and a half to 2 million bucks a year at that time. Okay. So definitely could afford right that, right? And the Aventador, t- well, I don't know. Well, I, technically, I, that's yeah, one and a half to $2 million. Yeah. What was the Aventador, 400000 uh, It was, f- uh, t- it was 312000 Oh yeah. Did you finance it or do you just buy it? Outright? Uh, that one, that one I finance. So I do okay. like, oh, I have, yeah, yeah. I have 28 vehicles. I probably finance nine of them. And then I own, I have a stack of, you know, almost 20 titles in my yeah. safe. But like, if I can get, if I can get money and, and I'm sure you've talked about this for if I can yeah. get a, a, a note at two and a half to like 4%, I'm not going to go spend $2 million of my money. Um, when money was that cheap. Yes. Um, I'm going to go just put it somewhere else. That's going to earn me eight plus percent a year. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable to talk about your income over time? Because I'm wildly curious when I see these types of cars. I'm like, I think How so. Much is this I think be? so. Um, so, I'm definitely not cash poor. But like, you you look at guys that launch software companies, and they uh, they may have a company that's not profitable, but their but their company is wildly valuable, right? So you you have people that have this 
billion dollar company, but they can't take dividends because their company's not making money. Um, I think Elon Musk had that problem a while ago mm-hmm. where he's like, Sleeping well, yeah, on I'm his worth buddy's couch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, I am worth all this money, but like, I can't sell my stock. Like I blah, blah, blah. So I'm not quite in that position, but like a lot of my equity is tied up within the company last year when, when, uh, and by last year, I, I think I mean late 21, we had a billion dollar valuation put on my company. Um, and so I don't own the full company. I have six partners, but today I own 40% of it. So that's, that's a pretty significant amount of like net worth, right? Um, that's, we'll call it 350 to $400 million worth of net worth. However, last year we had our first year of basically we were flat and growth and like PE firms that knocks a lot of PE firms out of the equation. Like they want high growth companies and we had always been one. So we should have sold in 2021. Um, we didn't. And, um, so, uh, I don't know what the value looks like today, but it's probably half of that. Um, and then my percentage time that, so a lot of my value is tied up in that company, but, um, but, and I don't just have, like, I have a lot of properties and I sold a lot of them because I knew that market was at peak. Mm-hmm. I timed it perfectly. I, I buy when it's very clearly cheap and I sell when it's very clearly high. I rarely play kind of in between. So I bought a lot of my properties from like 09 to 13 mm-hmm. and then I sold most of them in the last two years, wow. maybe the last year yeah. really. So I've timed it really well. And so I have income coming in from 20 plus properties. I have seven pet supplies plus stores. I have an Arby's. I have other investments elsewhere. So um, north of $10 million a year now at this point. So, yeah. but, but that's, that's, Probably less than, I, maybe that's less than you guys would have assumed, but I think it probably is it's less about, than most. It's about, I'm so curious. Let's start on the properties. Yeah. What did you buy? What did you look for? Yeah. Um, which ones did you sell? I'm, I'm, there's two reasons that I'm selling them. One was yeah. because the market is at peak mm-hmm. value. And then the other one is because I'm trying to simplify my life. <clears throat> it's the amount of stuff I'm, as I sell stuff and I still have to deal with it. I'm like, gosh, how did I handle this when, when I had exponentially more stuff to deal with. First thing I bought were single family homes and they were always like, it was less about investing. It was more about nostalgia. Like my grandma's house came up for sale that, that had not like, she had moved out of 30 years prior. It was the house she raised all of, all of her children. Is that by coincidence? It just, you saw it online or was it in the family they had to sell it? I'm like a big nostalgic guy. So I'm like, I put like Zillow follow reports on all the homes that I've owned, like uh, on the home alone house, uh, 671 Lincoln <laughs> Avenue in Winnetka. I'm um, like, I'm going to buy that house when it becomes available and I'm going to turn it into a big attraction and replicate what they did. You're in the trying home to do that day. at the Brady Bunch house. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. The neighbors yeah. will hate me, um, but I'm going to do it. Um, so it was, it was two things. It was that like nostalgia. So I bought that and then what did I do when I bought it? Oh, I think it, um, my sister, I let my sister live in it for a little while. And then I started turning it into an income property. And then I also started buying the buildings that my business was out of. And that, that was where a lot of the equity happens. Mm. Um, so I realized quickly that single family homes aren't really a great, in my opinion, unless you're dealing with really low income, like at that time, call it a six, like a hundred thousand dollar, 80 to a hundred thousand dollar house. I just don't think single family homes are, are ne- like, you only have one tenant. They're not generating the cap rate that I need. They're three to 4% out by me. <clears throat> um, so quickly learned that apartment buildings are the way to go, like multi, multi flats, or if you get an industrial that has six different condos or, but I was focused on apartment buildings. So I bought a bunch of apartment buildings. Most of them were six to eight flats. And, uh, and so now you have, you know, six different tenants paying. So if one person vacates, you're still doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your cap rate's a lot higher. Like you just make more from an apartment building, like a, a $600,000 apartment building is going to generate me 50k plus out there where a $600,000 home was getting me like 30, 35k. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that it is out there. So I I think I had I don't know, 70, 80 tenants at one point. 
um, across all the buildings. And then was uh, our company grew so fast that you know we were in seven thousand square feet, twenty thousand square feet, wow. hundred thousand square feet. Did you just keep the building and then rent out the last one? I would always so I would I would list them at a stupid high price. And then I would try to lease them. I wanted to lease them because if I can get someone to lease it, then I could sell it for even more um, money, right? If you have a, a long-term lease tenant, um, there's really good money that can be had. Um, I think a lot of developers try to do that. They build new buildings. They will sell it. Yep. But they want to get a guy in it so they can do, so I, they can do I'm that. I'm seeing so many listed right now in <clears> Vegas <throat> where the completion is over the next few months, but yeah. they have a tenant mm -hmm. already signed in, locked yeah. in for 20 years, and it's based on that cap rate. And then the, and they're going to sell that right yeah, away. Oh, like yeah. they, they don't want that tenant. A lot of them have offers. It's yeah. it's shocking. Even right now, they're yeah. in escrow. And they'll get 50% higher than what they would have sold that empty. Like It's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Um, it's crazy how that, how that works. So we just happen to get the stupid high offer where where there wouldn't be a lease offer that would come in, but someone would be like, I'd get an offer within two weeks of my high selling price. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just gonna sell. So that would pretty much happen every single time. I sold my 7,000 square foot, I sold my 20,000, um, sold my 100,000 one, but most of the stuff I had was residential um, up to the last few years. And then we still own the building that we're in a 330,000 square foot facility up in Wisconsin. We have oh a 200,000 square foot facility in Batavia. Um, and then we have another office building up there that's about 20,000 square feet. So. Um, own those three as far as industrial properties go. Uh, and then, and then I had a bunch of residential, like I said, and then just, just sold them all. And most of it was to do it, just trying to simplify my life. Like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like I'm, I'm ready to sell a portion. I, I always want to be a part of my company that, that I helped build obviously, or that I really, that I started, I'm OG employee number one at the place, right? I always want to be a part of it, but I also want to take some chips off the table and, and have that comfort level that where I have enough money in the bank where I'm like, okay, well. I could step away today and, and be fine for the rest of my life. Um, and I've, I've banked away enough money at that point where I can live, I can live comfortably now, but I can live really comfortably um, by really helping continue to build this company and get the value way back up again. What else do you own? You mentioned, <coughs> you listed off quite a few. I started at the first <coughs> properties. What else was there? Um, I, I heard an Arby's in there. Pet yeah. supply Arby's, stores? Oh. Seven, seven pet supplies plus Okay, stores. well, okay. Pets, pet supply stores? Yeah, Pet supplies. There was some. There was some partners that needed a financial arm, and I was. Uh, um, I can't get into too much detail sure. on that, but like, it ended up being where where I was in the financial. I was told that I would need to put forth a certain amount. I ended up putting forth four x the amount after two years, and I I didn't think that they were being managed quite well. So, so I basically told them like, guys, I can't put any money. Like, you have to start putting money forth. Like, I can't continue to bleed. Um, however. If you guys give me 100% equity in all of the stores, um, I will assume all responsibilities within the leases, the loans that are outstanding. Like I, I will be the guy that takes the fall for that. And so I gave them that out and they mm -hmm. took the out. And uh, at the end of the day, I would have never invested in, in these stores because I just didn't want the headache. If I could go back, I just wouldn't have put money forth. But um, we have an awesome person that oversees the stores named Kelly and she has like work to actually get them all profitable. Wow. <clears throat> now I want to sell them. Um, and I have a lot of interested parties. Again, this is about simplification of life. Like we've okay. gotten them to where there's real value in the stores. And so I just want to sell them and, and I just want to have my wheel. Like I literally yeah. want to have my wheel company and that's it. And then over the next year or two, prop that up enough to, to sell some shares in that. And just like, I, I feel kind of burned out at this point. I have other great ideas. The team and I were trying to make a vlog around launching business ideas. And we all came up with a bunch of ideas. And like, there were some great ideas and, and we were going to launch a few of them, build the series, wait six months to a year to launch it. But I'm like, gosh, I just, I just, it's not that I don't have the drive. It's just that it's so much work 
And I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm really kind of, I've worked. You need the focus. What I didn't mention yeah. was I, I've worked 80 to 100 hour weeks and God bless my wife for, for like just being there for the kids, taking care of me. But like for 20 something years, that takes a toll on you when you're working that much. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think I'm just ready to, to chill. Like it's, it's too much. I want to talk about that. Yeah. But I also want to talk about the Arby's. <clears throat> yeah. how, did, how did the Arby's come to be? That's a same situation. Same okay. partners. Really? Uh, and the Arby's is folded as of like two days ago. Oh. So now I'm like trying to negotiate out of this lease. Yeah. I didn't even run and operate that one. Uh, they operated that fully. Is it just a, as a franchise? Yeah, it's a franchise. Okay. Um, so that one is gone and I'm just dealing with getting out of the lease right now on that. So there's a 15 year lease sign. There's 13 years left in it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. Do you like the food Arby's has? <clears throat> I do like Arby's. It's not somewhere I go often, but you know, every once in a while I'll get myself the roast beef with some Arby's sauce and, yeah. and some curly fries. It's not what you think of when you think of fast food. Very few people think Arby's. I think that's the problem is you just don't think about it, right? They don't market. Right. They used to, they yeah. used to market a lot. I used to see their commercials all the time. I don't yeah. see them anymore. Yeah. You know, like it does would... a really good job at marketing. Who's that? Lexar. Actually, <laughs> oh, uh, gosh, they, they actually do a really good job because they, you know, they tell me to talk about them and then I sit here and I talk about them. Lexar is <laughs> actually fantastic. They've sent us quite a few memory cards and I mm. got to say they are good. They're very I don't, good. I don't get anything from saying it, but they, oh. are, they are pretty good. Well, if you legit yeah. don't get anything, then, then good for you. I they, love send it. It, they send us uh, memory cards <clears throat> and uh, hard drives. Hard drives. So, so what I'm hearing so is cool. ship, ship them even more. <laughs> yeah, oh, right, I love good. it. I'll, I'll take <laughs> yeah. Yes. Also send to the Hamilton Collection, Naperville, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm sure we could we could we'll coordinate for some yeah. of that. We'll yeah. No, I'm, um, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah. What fine. are some of the business ideas that you were thinking? Now you got me wondering on that. Gosh, I, I feel like I feel like there's three. And Tommy and uh, Natalia, I know you're in the other room listening, but sorry to, to throw you guys under the bus, but I told them all to come up with three ideas each. So we had 12 ideas and mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but you'll have to yell. Um, but I think my three ideas were voted the top out of all twelve. We did an independent vote in the text, and I was hoping these guys. Well, you know, Tommy had a Tommy had a pretty good idea. They they all had good ideas. They just weren't good enough to to rise to the top. All right. And uh, so I still may pursue them because they were my ideas. They still could happen, right? Like if if shit hits the fans at work, which I really don't think it will. Like I think that like you look at companies that are failing right now. Our competitor, Car ID. They had a $250 million valuation and now their stock is trading under a dollar and like they've had negative profit for like, I'm waiting for them to fall off. So like that, that, that should help our business mm-hmm. if they inevitably fold, but you never know what happens. And I want to keep these in my back pocket, but I'm, I'm thinking of through all three of them and I'm like, gosh, like I can't, I can't like one of them is a kid's car toy like a power wheels like i can okay. sell that but but you yeah. but it's all about it's all about creating some kind of app and differentiating it. like you can take an existing one do a clever spin like um be real i don't know if you've heard of be real yep. that's that's what I'll, yeah be real just took something very simple mm-hmm. um and then uh and then liquid like liquid death is brilliant mm-hmm. they canned water but they made it look like it's beer so like that that's that's their pitch is yep. that it's okay great like i think they're around a year and they had a billion dollar like something stupid crazy yep. so so you can you can take a product and, and create something totally new that's never been done. You can take something that already exists and, and tweak it, which I think is easier to do. Create that app, or you can create some kind of service. I think service is the most difficult because yeah. you usually have to be kind of on the floor there dealing with customers that walk in. So uh, I think app is probably the fastest, like something software-related is the fastest way to get rich, but it's also a lot of money required up front. I think building a product requires slightly less capital, but still a lot. That's more my wheelhouse. 
Um, so one of them was software, two of them were yeah. product related. What are the most pivotal moments in your career, the choices that are decisions that you made yeah. that like <clears throat> completely changed the trajectory of your business? Yeah, so it's, it's crazy how if several things didn't happen along the way, we would cease to exist. Um, one of them was reliance on eBay, like up until 08, 100% eBay sales. And eBay started to fall off quickly around 12 or 13 where, where like their fee structure and everything just didn't get profitable. The market was too hoard out. And had I not pivoted and built um, our own brand, we would have we would have been gone in 2012 or 13. eBay is like one percent less than one percent of our sales now, where it was a hundred percent when I started. Right, so um, shifting to that, adding tires to the mix that really differentiated us, um, because not a lot of people have good websites built around bundling wheel and tire packages. That was that was huge and clutch for us. If we were wheel only, I don't think the profit would maybe the profit would be strong enough. I don't know. Um, I would say that. There were a few pivotal moments moments during COVID um, where it got really scary for a month on sales where they, they tanked and we had a huge structure built around staffing and we got really smart really quick on getting lean, but then it went crazy when people got stimulus checks. So here we are like telling everybody our reductions and everything, blah, blah, blah. And so the warehouse got out of control. Like after a month, it looked like it, it was chaotic, like orders were lost and and like I went out in the warehouse for a month and I was slinging tires and doing stuff like I couldn't even walk in my own warehouse. I'm like, what happened, guys? Um, so like I hate to say it, but like if that wasn't fixed, like that could have crippled or crushed us. Um, those are a few moments that that come up, but there's there's quite a bit along the way. I don't know. That's there's it's it's crazy how intricate um, and, and that's why so many businesses fail. It's crazy how many of those moments happen. And it's just having the right skill set or the right like gut that you need to be able to do that. Like I work with people that take three months to, to make a decision. And they say one of the best skills about a, a person that is a business owner is the ability to to just shoot from the hip and make an on the spot decision. And like a lot of these decisions that were pivotal were, were just quick, like this is what I need to do right now. I don't have time to analyze this. Like this needs to be done immediately. And what was the largest unexpected hurdle that you guys had to, to mount, I guess? Um, that, I mean, I, I hate to say it again, the stimulus checks, like that was just like unexpected. You, it just like comes up. And to, it went like, we went from having million dollar sales days to a $4 million sales day. So like you can't sustain four X growth for a straight month. Like when you're staffed for so your people just got a bunch X? of money and just wanted to buy wheels. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. With oh, probably yeah. the PPP too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that might have been part of yeah. yeah. Everything trickled down the PPP, uh, and then throughout, you know, it, it just it oh, sustained. The, the un, I forgot the unemployment benefits <clears throat> too. They were getting six hundred dollars a week, right? Six hundred a week on top yes. of the other unemployment. Did your employees? Did mm. any of them quit or anything during um, that time too? Or were you properly staffed? A lot of people were scared to come into work and. Um, I, I haven't also have an irrational lack of fear about COVID. I respect people's decision to wear masks. I, I get all of that, but I also just wasn't scared about it. Like I, and they needed someone that, that was that type of leader when the warehouse fell mm -hmm. apart. Like we were a part of the reason we were getting crippled out there was because people were worried about working. So I just got out there. I got in there at 5am and I left at midnight. I was working 100 hour weeks in the warehouse for that whole month. And, and that's, um, that yeah, so like that helped keep people, start getting people, building confidence, having them come in. We didn't really lose, like we didn't lose many people because we didn't choose to, we could have chose to lay off and, and terminate when we had that very scary month, but we, we wrote it out for a little bit um, and I'm kind of glad we did. But like a month after it went crazy, we hired a significant amount of people. Um, we had to hire 
Mm. And, and uh, when I worked in the warehouse for a hundred mm. hours weeks, that's when I realized that I actually stepped away from the company for a year and a half. And so did all the other owners. And a lot of it was that month, that month, like completely killed me. I'm like, I cannot do this again. Like we just need to hire a C-suite. Like I, I cannot be out in my warehouse juggling this. I need to hire someone that's high paid. There's a, there's a very big difference between like a guy making six figures leading a big organization. Mm-hmm. That's a smart guy, right? A guy making a hundred thousand dollars is still a good, very good employee, but there's a very, very huge difference between a hundred thousand dollar and a $250,000 year employee. Like I, I hate to say it, but the $250,000 year employee, like they, I can step away. My, my chief operating officer, I have not had to go out in that warehouse in what, almost three years now. And I would actually have to go out there every year and rescue them during peak. Just the the COVID spike one was the worst by far. Like it, it looked like we were going to fall apart. Um, and he has done a great job. Like you just see the difference in that type of person. So we hired, we hired that group and all the owners stepped away for a year and a half. But when 2022 was clearly challenging and we were flat growth, we're like, okay, well, owners are going to step back in and, and give, give their all um, to try to turn the ship around. Yeah. And so. Can you explain why 2022 was flat for you? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it killed the automotive e-com industry in general. Um, most of what I read on non-necessary items, necessary items being like an alternator. If your alternator breaks, you're gonna buy one anyway. Um, but like ancillary items, like wheels, tires are oftentimes ancillary, but oftentimes not. Um, the market was down 30 to 50% actually this year on the wheel end. Um, it, was, it was closer to 30. We called almost all of our suppliers and that was on, I'm like, wow, like, and I'll tell you why in a sec, but. Um, so we finished, I think down actually seven or eight, I said we were about flat. So about flat sounds better than down seven or eight. Cause it's about flat. Right. Um, so we outpaced the industry, but I cannot stand shrinking. Like that's like that, that drives me crazy. And that's a big reason why I jumped back in the mix, but there were a lot of things happening. So right when the Ukraine war happened that day, we saw sales go down 20% and it, that just kind of sustained like that. Mm. It was weird, but that also times with tax returns, um, so Ukraine war kind of shattered consumer confidence that spiked up oil prices. Oil prices are very closely tied to our truck sales and truck is our biggest division. Um, supply chain issues, our number one vehicle that people modify are 2023, the newest model. It was weird because five years ago, the average vehicle that they would buy wheel for was six years old. And now it's the brand new, brand new vehicles. People are throwing wheels on them. Um, supply chain issues with the cars, there were 20% less new vehicles produced. So that's our biggest year, right? So that, that's a problem. Supply chain issues on the wheel end. Um, aluminum prices skyrocketed much higher than inflation. So um, when inflation was 8% or something, wheels went up like, and, and uh, uh, in the Trump era, they slapped tariffs on aluminum exports. So like each year for like three or four straight years, wheels went up like 25%. Like, mm. so a set of twenties was a thousand bucks is now 1800 bucks just for wheels, crazy inflation. So people now can't afford wheel tires saw the same thing. So that all kind of happened. Um, the stimulus checks didn't hit in March. So we track every single month. We track year over year growth. If people didn't have stimulus checks in March of 2022, but they had them in 21, we're going to see a drop. Um, and then people earned out their taxes earlier that earned child, uh, the child tax credit yeah. was paid out all throughout 21. So tax refunds were a lot smaller. There were a crazy amount of headwinds that I've never, it, there, there's like three or four more than I'm forgetting, but it's just crazy. It would also be the story. fact that cars for the last two years have really gone up in value and people see their cars as an investment. It's a lot easier maybe to spend money on something that, that you believe is going up in value and you're increasing its value versus the car is declining and you're spending money 
that you might not get back in the car. Yeah, that could that could certainly affect, or or they just have less money. That truck was yeah. thirty, and now it's forty five. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm not going to go buy wheels. What's interesting to me is, from my understanding, it sounds like what you guys experienced to have that flat year was just a bunch of external factors all like pushing in all at once. Yeah. How confident are you that because these things were out of your control? How yeah. confident are you that in the future these external factors or something? won't continue to push on you and, yeah. and cripple the business. Yeah. And what are you going to do internally to make sure that you can basically continue on this path, yep. even with all of those factors? We, um, I forgot to mention rising interest rates. That's a big deal all because right. a lot of people use credit cards and finance their purchases. Um, and that was a big deal. Um, and that also affected inflation in general, affected people's pocketbooks with, with property and whatever else it would be. Um, we, we got very, we got very close. Like when the owners got back in, we looked at the highest level of expenses immediately. Um, we realized that there was a lot of stuff we didn't need to spend money on. We also realized that we staffed for 50% growth and we were already overstaffed by 50%. So um, wages were, uh, I, I, I love my C-suite, don't get me wrong. Wages was, were just not managed well. So we're like nearly 100% overstaffed heading into 2022. And we realized it when by, by almost the end of Q1 that like, okay, guys, we're going to probably be flat this year. Um, so we did a hiring freeze and then we had to do a few rounds of layoffs. We, we tried to keep as many people as humanly possible, but we were able to just through attrition, uh, mostly through attrition, just, <clears throat> and the great thing is that there was such a strong, there still is such a strong hiring market that, um, I didn't feel bad because these people are, are leaving and they're finding other jobs and, and I hope that they're happier. Um, so managing, managing every bucket of expenses down to a T looking for any waste, analyzing our pricing structure, like just getting in and granular on every single facet of the company. And we actually, despite being down, we increased our EBITDA um, by almost $2 million this year, even though we started the first half of the year ridiculously high on expenses. So this year, even if we're flat again, should be really strong for us um, because we're just managing costs a lot better. It's, It's just keeping a close eye. We have a daily daily report that we look at on a lot of different metrics. Like we're that, we're that finite with what we do. And if there's something that's, that's a red metric for two days, um, someone's looking into, okay, why, why was our gross margin X percent? Like, why is it down 2% from what it is? Someone's looking into and figuring out and making sure there's not something broken right away. That's just managing everything really well, trying to train people to like, this is probably the most important thing is training your, your leaders and above to think like an owner. It's, oh, do you really need this like subscription? Like, is this really going to add value? Like if you own this company, would you go pay $30,000 a year for this subscription? Making them think like that is making them make smarter choices and it's making them manage their wages better. Um, so it, it, empowering them to be entrepreneurial, like, uh, is another big segment of it. It's just a random, could be a stupid question, but yeah. why not just go public if, if you were considering We've, getting, we looked acquired. at the SPAC route, we looked at public, we looked at going to, um, a private equity firm and just from everything that we looked at, um, it's felt like it would be easiest to just go the PE firm route. Public requires a significant amount of regulation. I have to be careful what I say, what I do. Um, I just don't want to have that level of scrutiny and you have to keep significantly. We do keep really good books, but you have to keep like two X, um, what is required for, you know, any other private company, in my opinion. Um, the PE firm just seemed like the, the best strategic route to get us the cash that we needed. Um, but so that, that's where I, I think we'll lean at the time, but that market's been decimated now too. Right. Are you also price conscious in your personal life as well? Uh, It seems like just besides the cars, Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're naturally a frugal person. I I would say, I would say like, 
I would say frugal is the is the wrong word, like in some ways, but it's it's someone some people have looked at the way I spend money and they're like, it is so complex. Like I don't understand how you and, and for me it's does what I'm doing provide like enjoyment or value to my life. So if I'm if I'm in a plane, do I need to sit in first class? Like it do, does it really matter? And so like I flew southwest on the way here. Like I sat in, you know, the the middle of the of the plane like it's more like it was con- it was a more convenient time and I just don't really care mm-hmm. where I sit there. But like on vacation like am I going to go rent a big beautiful home versus a maybe a tiny condo? Yeah, I will I I will go splurge and do that and I will go travel and and enjoy that it, because that adds a lot of value that um, we travel with people all the time and that that raises the the bar for that 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 raises their enjoyment experience um so it's it's all just about how much happiness it brings me and and so i'll i'll be i'll look at grocery expenses and i'll be like okay like we're not going to order this candy on amazon like it's it's three times the amount of what i can go get it in the store sure i don't know it's it's really funky but i i try to be very conscious and and not waste money away but i'll also almost spare no expense when it comes to enjoyment got it um, what are your thoughts right now on the car market? Like just the, the car, uh, the car just market in, has been hit pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, if you're a, like, I'm amazed that dealerships haven't folded yet because no, I, Carvana I look at, is getting very close. Well, they did yeah. get close. And then I think their stock bumped up a few days ago or something. Who knows? They'll be I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, decimated like the, the car value has gone down, you know, 20 plus percent. The hypercar market has stayed pretty stable. If mm-hmm. not, it's actually gone up a little bit. Um, I guess people in the top wealth bracket, even though they've lost a lot of their income this year, I think it was 500 billion or maybe it was more. Um, they're still spending like they're still spending stupid. Like the Bugatti Mistral that just got released five months ago, sold out completely. Mm. Um, so their, their spending behaviors aren't really changing, but the, the middle class and uh, everyone below is definitely watching their, their pocketbook, not going and purchasing that vehicle that's driving down price in, uh, raising uh, interest rates on vehicles is making it a lot less attractive to go buy them. Yeah. So I, I think that the market still hasn't fully corrected though, because <clears throat> I know what I bought everything at and it's still a lot more than what it is on a lot of cars. So I think it's got another 10, 10 to maybe even 15 to 20% on some of the supercars. Yeah. Can we talk about your collection specifically? Yeah. Ask me this question. I want to ask you too. What's every car in your collection? If you can, oh god, oh, I'm going to be here a long I'll, time. Uh, Jack, I'll go as really? fast as I can with what I got. Yeah, yeah. Bugatti Chiron, Ferrari LaFerrari, Porsche 918, McLaren P1. The Senna is basically gone, but they didn't give me a check yet, so I still have to. I still have to include that. Uh, Pagani Huayra, and then I got a Ferrari uh, 488 GTB. I have a Ferrari Testarossa, Lamborghini Countach, Lamborghini Urus, Ford GT, Audi R8. Uh, Jeep Rubicon 392, Resvani, um, Nissan GTR. What else? Porsche GT3 RS, McLaren 765LT. I'm missing some of them, but we're getting close. Limos, mm-hmm. two uh, Cadillac, oh, yeah, uh, 83 Cadillac Fleetwood limo and an 89 Lincoln Town Car that I just love driving. See, what surprises me about that <laughs> list is that it's lacking a... Um, a Mazda Miata. <laughs> See, I think, I Miata, think you yeah. could just probably, if you add one of those, it will just complete the collection right there. We have a, my friend's daughter's name is Ella and she, she, you are speaking her language. She loves the Mazda Miata. Very nice. Yeah, Very nice. A lovely car. And a Lotus Amira yeah. would be, I think pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Or I think a Tesla Roadster version 1.0 would be very cool. Yeah. Let me know when you're going to sell that thing. I'd, I'd consider it. I'd consider <laughs> it. Really? 
That's such a neat right. car. For the right it? price. I never drive. He'd rip you, know you off, man. So he would uh-huh. he would sell you a Roadster. Yeah. Uh, if you went to him. Uh, but I really wanted a, a, a signature 100. So those yeah. are the first 100 Teslas that they delivered. Yeah. And he says, well, if you want a car to hold on to for 10 years, I got this car here. It's one of 26 ever made in yellow. Ah. That's it. Yeah. And so when I saw the car, I'm like, I love it. And it's, the yeah. only, it's one of one yellow with the, um, oh gosh, Alcantara interior. Oh, nice. Yeah. So there you go. one of one of yeah. that. So I figured, well, Hold it's, on it's a forever. unique car. Yeah, but that I never drive cool. it. I take it out every, I, I'm the opposite of you. You <clears> just <throat> drive these cars. You don't care. Yeah, yeah. Every mile that ticks up, I just. Add stress, oh, anxiety. man. Yeah. Or, or if, if anything were to happen to the car, like I get a scratch, yeah. or like a, you know, I scrape on the driveway. Gives you anxiety. Just, yeah, it ruins it. That's okay. I'm surprised you don't have just like a normal daily driver. I like do. If you're trying to go to the, you know, I didn't think store. about those when you're talking. So like my a Camry or something. I have, we have a Tesla Model X, and then uh, okay. I have the Roadster on order, the Cybertruck on order, mm-hmm. um, and then I have an Escalade. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get the V series. Uh, that thing looks right up my alley. And then the Rubicon 392 I mentioned is one. We keep the dailies at my house. We keep all the, the and the two limos are kept at my house because like oh. I'll I'll drive the like I I love them so much and my kids like. They're not embarrassed at all for me to roll up an 83 Fleetwood limo to pick them up from school. Like, it's just such a vibe car. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm in, and we've kept them very original. Like, I feel like I'm in the 80s when I'm that's driving cool. those things, so I love it. Um, I'm all about vibe. Uh, what else do I have at home? I think that's that's really good. The Escalade, the Jeep, the two limos, Urus, and the Tesla. Yeah. I was speaking yeah. to <clears throat> the Strad man a little bit, yeah. and he was going over the cost of his Bugatti, mm-hmm. just like the ownership. When yeah. he's got to get an oil change, he's got to replace the brakes, he's got to replace the tires, how expensive those are. Yes. What's the maintenance or like the upkeep on your cars look like? Um, we just did a video on yeah. that, so uh, you guys can check it out if you want to see it. But it was actually, I was around $800,000 a year. Now, that included some upgrades that we did, so I don't remember what they were, but like upgrades and maintenance, eight hundred grand a year. But what that didn't include was depreciation. If you actually look at us putting 60 plus thousand miles on the fleet, now that includes some daily drivers that my wife and I drive, so it's not a totally fair number, but that might be 35 to 40,000 miles. So we're still putting 20 to 25,000 miles on hypers and supercars. Um, it was like a million dollars worth of depreciation. So $2 million a year that it's costing me uh, to do this. Now, this is a tax question, but do you do you own the cars in the corporation? No, I, I see a lot of Montana plates right. uh, when I go out there and um, I don't, I, I do personally own them, but I am, I am using them heavily for business. Like a lot sure. of these miles are put on for content. So, um, we are, we are actually going to try to make sure that we can u- utilize property appreciation for them mm-hmm. working, working on it now. Yeah. yeah. Do you do all the simple fixes in house, like an oil change and like brakes and stuff like that? Or do you send it all to the, I, I used to turn a wrench back in the day. Like I, I did engine swaps. I, I did brakes. Like I just don't have the <clears throat> desire to do that right now. I should hire a full-time mechanic because it will be faster. Right. Um, but no, we, we take them to different shops in the area. So how much does the oil change cost on a Pagani? A Pagani? I don't even know what that one is. Do you drive it up to just like a Jiffy Lube? And no, <laughs> <laughs> no, that one has okay. to be shipped to Texas. You're for an oil change. I have to ship like all these cars. Like the Bugatti goes into Chicago. That's not a far ship. That's an hour drive. Um, what else goes crazy far? Like when I get the Ramac, I'm gonna have to ship it to California. I don't even know um, what Ramac is. It's it's an electric car. It broke all the top speed records. Oh, I wow. got I was driving uh, over 200 miles an hour on Croatian streets, and I got on national news. I'm like golfing with Tommy the next day. We posted the video. I'm like, it's mm-hmm. in Croatia. Like. 
I wouldn't post something like that in the U.S., but like in Croatia, sure. And then Matej Rimac, like literally the CEO of Bugatti and the founder of, of Rimac, he's messaging me on WhatsApp. He's like, sending me all these links. He's like, yeah, you're all over the news. Um, wow. He's like, I need you to send me your license and some other stuff. I'm like, uh, can I come back into the country when the car is like going to be almost done? Because my Rimac will be done end of this year. He's like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. I'll need to take you to the police station. I'm like, uh, I'm, not go- I'm not going back wow. to Croatia. <laughs> not going back there. Uh, oh gosh. Yes. So some have to be shipped. Um, it's, it's, and Tommy manages all that stuff and he does a fantastic job. Um, my whole team is great. I want to make sure I give them props because Natalia, Aiden, Tommy could not ask for a better team of people. They, they are really loyal to the brand, just really good people all around. I'm thankful to have them. And, uh, and they, they help get everything done around the organization so that I can focus on growing my business and doing other stuff. Um, yeah. So as simple as an oil change oh, on a Pagani. Back to your original question. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, my gut is, my gut is that's probably a three to five thousand dollar job, but I don't remember that one specifically. I know the Bugatti, um, like the the annual service is like around thirty thousand dollars, and a lot of that is the oil change because there's like sixteen different um, drip pan bolts, and like it's yeah they have to take the whole back apart, and it's a multi day wow. job. Um, but I don't know the Bugatti. I'm sorry. I should. This is stupid. Why don't they just make it easier to change the oil in the car? Why do they got to make it so complicated? Couldn't it just be like one thing off to the side and they know they got to change the oil? And You would think. Like, make, they could make, make a, a little, lot of money from it. Yeah. That's the thing. If they're doing oh, repairs, yeah, exactly. they could, uh, yeah. It's like no, a yeah, subscription. Yeah. purposely yeah. try yeah. to. Who knows? It could, it could be that it's just not feasible or possible. Um, who knows at the end of the day? I don't know. I know that Houston crossed a does a lot of his own stuff yeah he's a pretty smart guy and I, th- I feel like that irks manufacturers when he posts that but props to him for getting it done right it's maybe a kind of a sad question but mm-hmm. what's the most what's the biggest catastrophe that's happened with you and your cars McLaren Senna the Senna that got oh, t-boned <laughs> that was just the worst thing that has ever other happened. than that it was all tiny stuff it's all just cars breaking down on the track where there were some small mini fires that went out really quick that everything else was less than 20 grand. And, and I say that like, oh yeah, it's, it's nothing. It's just 20 grand, but like, that's a lot of money. But relative to the McLaren Senna, right. that's a $1.4 million loss. Like everything else, we've been very fortunate and people have respected the cars really well. You have any idea how that's going to affect your monthly payment on the insurance? Um, they haven't raised my rates yet and they haven't dropped me. I've, I've been added my, I added my Escalade today that I bought six months ago because I forgot about it. Wow. Um, yeah, so and they're like, here's your rate, four hundred and seventy-two bucks for six months on an Escalade, which That's to me is phenomenal. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's really, really fascinating. But I like my insurance company. I I yeah. Do they cheap. do just in your state, or are they like they're like Midwest? Okay. They have a they have a decent presence out there. I don't know if they get out this far. Mm-hmm. Country Financial. Yeah. <laughs> How do you balance the time between everything and mm-hmm. having a wife and also kids? There's the there's the old adage like family first, right? But like mm-hmm. really, it's. Really, it's support the needs of the business, but make sure that make sure that family is family is first in the way that, like, if it if it comes down to one or the other, I'm always picking family. Like, I will stop doing what I'm doing today, whatever it may be, if it's affecting my family. Um, but my wife knows my goal is to to step back away and try to live a more peaceful life. So it's yeah, I know she, I know you have to go back to the grind and work eighty hour weeks, like. I, my life is work, family, and then managing the social media channel. Like it, that, those are the only, like, I don't, I rarely hang out with friends. Um, and again, a lot of that's because I'm back at work. Like I, when I was stepped away for a year and a half, it, I had a very flexible and, and nice mm-hmm. schedule. 
Um, it's, it's just like finding the best times to work. So I work when the kids are at school. I work when they're in bed. Um, and making sure I have that time in the morning after school with them. And then weekends, I try to work very little or I'll work when they're on their iPads. It's, it's working when they, when I don't need to be present for them or when I can't be present for them because they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, and then, yeah. And then carving out, you know, six to eight hours a week to shoot content and do fun stuff, um, with THC. With such a demanding schedule, <clears throat> is it worth it right now? Or do you do it because you believe it will be worth it at some point in the future? Yes. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but like in, in six weeks that I've been, I've been working really heavy for the last six weeks and I probably will until there's a sale event. The amount of stuff I've gotten accomplished is, is seismic. Like I've, I've saved us $4 million in six weeks heading into next year, um, in from vendors, but we're also going to, we also have strategized a bunch of other plans to help move a lot more, but like the, the amount in the like when you, when you build a company from the start, you, I've worn every hat. I've I've worked in the warehouse. I've done email customer service. I know the way every single thing works in the organization, and so I can I can communicate and act more effectively, in my opinion, than ninety nine point nine percent of our people in our organization, um, because I see every aspect of everything. Like I walk in my warehouse and I'm like, why aren't we why aren't we double boxing wheels? We used to do that like five years ago. Like what what why are we shipping one wheel at a time when you can bundle two boxes together? that saves damage and that's a lot cheaper. And apparently some, something just fell off or mm. something got not communicated. And you know, that ends up being a couple hundred thousand dollars savings. I see things like that in the last six weeks, I've seen a significant amount of that. Um, and some of it's not the way we used to do it. It's, it's, I just went and visited um, another facility and I saw that they're doing something a certain way. And then I have our, our team run an analysis. Oh, that's going to save a half million dollars. Okay, well let's do that. Um, it's just, I have a really good eye for recognizing opportunity and taking advantage of it. And, uh, yeah, I think that only comes though from you building it from the ground up and yeah. doing everything yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure. Knowing how it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Right. You know, right now I'm working on supply chain largely. It's stocking, negotiating with vendors. It's creating marketing plans. And like, so, um, my goal is to, to visit every sector of the company and, and do that same kind of analysis. And then, mm-hmm. And then just create a checkpoint. So like we have good team members, but but I can use my I can use my lens to go in and make these changes and then let them know what I did, let them run it, create metrics around it to make sure that it's successful, move on to the next department. Yeah. So that's what I'm gonna be doing over the next year. And then what would you do afterwards? Let's just say you, you take some of those chips off the table. What do you envision for yourself? Like eight years What's from it? now when our kids are all in college, mm-hmm. I think my wife and I will be traveling like half of the year. Uh, we just want to go have a lot of fun traveling within the next, like if, if there's a sale event in two years, I think it's realistically probably two to three years. Um, just getting back to how it was mid 20 to, to late early, it's early 2022 where I just had flexibility in my day. Um, I always have to keep busy. Like when I stepped away <clears throat> in uh, June of 2020, I got bored immediately and I went and got my pilot's license. I went and got my, my lien certification for operating in the warehouse. Like I was bored. Like I need stuff to do, but like, I'd rather pick fun stuff that like educates me, um, than have to work 80 hours a week. So just a more balanced life doing. And I actually really like, I less enjoyed when I first started kind of interjecting myself back into our wheel company a year ago, it was very high level stuff. It was like, okay, our wages are X percent. Like how can we get that down? Now it's like super tactical where I'm working with frontline employees getting in the trenches and like, I love this part like the most, like I love getting in the trenches, working with team members that I worked with, you know, eight years ago. And, uh, and that's, 
it's actually really fun for me to be back in the mix. I love work, mm-hmm. um, but I need to know that there's an end in sight. So balanced schedule. I think I'm spending good time with the family right now because I'm, I'm, I'm with them a lot other than when I travel. Um, yeah, really just better balanced schedule. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So with the level of intensity that you have for work right mm-hmm. now, would you say that overall it's like a really happy relationship between yeah. you and work? Or would you say that you're still doing it mostly right now in order to ideally like reap the rewards of two, yeah. three years in the future when the sell event happens? I think I would say if 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 you told me there's no way that I could sell my company within the next five years, I, I would be less happy. But I'm really optimistic that we can we can get a portion of it up and for sale in a few years. And again, I always want to retain part of it. I just want to take some chips off the table, but because I know that the end is not the end, but because I know that that's probably in the scope of reality within two years, I'm, I'm actually fine. Like I'll grab my laptop and find new projects to do. Like I could, I could relax, rest, relax at night, but I'm like, eh, that's, that's wasted time. I could be, I could be growing, adding more profit, doing something. So I enjoy it. So you, okay. But what you just said was not something out of enjoyment, but was more so out of like, okay, like I probably should be doing something right now. Because yeah. those are, they're different, you know? They like, are. They are. Um, it's, it, it, I don't may- not enjoy it. I don't not enjoy it. Right. It's just uh, I always have to be doing something. I, I've thought of a way. Oh, crap. Like, I can I can actually get started on that. Um, I've thought of something to do, so I'm just filling that time. Is it going and driving a supercar 180 miles an hour that would be much more fun than that? No. Um, but it's something to, to fill my time that feels productive. So there's... There's some value that I get out of it because it feels really productive. Right. So it does bring happiness, but a lot of it is also out of necessity and a, yeah. a feeling like you do need to do it because like you said, in two, three years, there is the, that is the light at the end of the tunnel. You're trying to get there. Yeah. And I would say it's pretty rare right now in the last, in the last uh, few months that, that I've felt really stressed about it. Even when I'm working really long days, like I'm actually, I'm, I'm okay with it again because I know, I know there's a goal. Um, so it's, it's not really, it's pretty okay right now. Hmm. And what's the goal with the Hamilton collection? Uh, to keep like, to really get the collection to a, it's, it's funny that you, you interviewed Mr. Beast, right? I did. Yeah, that was, yeah. I think I watched that a few months. You did that pretty recently too, right? Two um, months ago? Something like that. That's a while ago. Okay. Three months, four months, <clears throat> yeah, something like that. I watched that one, I think right when it came out. Cool. Um, I watched his video on how he cured a thousand people from blindness. blindness. Yeah. And like that got me thinking, I'm like, I would love to cross over like the car follower community caps it right like four million like stradman is the most successful and there's a reason he is because he's he's a really good dude he's really fun to watch but like there's nobody there's a few guys like donut media demiro he's like what is 4.6 okay there there is a top though and then you have other guys like nathan from unspeakable david dobrik you have beast and like where they're just 10 million like way way above that so there's kind of a fix yeah. Oh, yeah, crucifix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it's not really like the type of like show. But, there, but there's a yeah. lot of guys over over 10 that have nothing to do with like there is there seems to be a lower cap for car stuff than there is other stuff. So I want to try to bridge that gap between how can I go do fun stuff like that, but but use my collection of my cars. And I don't know what the answer is, but I've challenged my team with that. It might mean doing slightly less content, but doing higher quality content. And I think that we do our engagements really, really good. Like I, I will I, say. I would say it would be better to have four million because the automotive audience is so enthusiastic about the content. Like yeah, when you see true. when James posts a video, yeah, always a million views, no matter yeah. what he posts. Really good engagement. The comment yeah. section is so positive. Yeah. And everyone is supporting each yeah. other and is encouraging him. Very true. And so like that audience for me is way better than yeah. than ten million where it's like they'll kind of tune in and out here yeah. and there. Yeah, so it's it's 
there is, I think we're kind of at a, a pivotal, mo- pivotal moment for the good. This is one of those moments where I, where I recognize that I, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of the content line, but I think that we can create even more fun, engaging content crossover, but still use cars. So I've challenged them with that. And, uh, and it's, it's doing that, but continuing to bring in higher quality vehicles, continuing to, to pitch the message of sharing the cars with the community, bringing the cars to charity events to drive people in there, making sure that people can access and drive the cars. Um, it's, it's just continuing to really build that brand. I definitely think that there's a way that you could do that with more yeah. like spectacle type content with sure. cars. I saw Mr. Beast on something. I don't know what it was, but he got like a bunch of buses lined up and he got yeah, cars to like jump over. Yeah. He did like 10 things in that video. Yeah. I'm like, dude, like this, was like- that was pretty crazy. I also, I remember I was with James, the Stradman and he was saying that he wanted to race a, like a plane in a super fast mm-hmm. car, yeah. stuff like that. There's yep. always ways that you could figure it out. It's just, it, I feel like it would be a little bit different than like, I guess I'm talking more about the charitable aspect. The problem with that is you, you, you dance that fine line of like beast got some flack for it, which I think is silly. Cause he, he cured a, he paid for that a thousand no like, sense. yeah. but, but then you have cynical people that say, well, he's doing it all for, he's doing it all just for content, but the still dude, they're going to be cynical regardless. Still benefit a thousand is, is people. Like people wouldn't even know this is a surgery that, that a needs of, attention yeah. if it weren't for the video and he yes. wouldn't be able to do that yes. if it were not for the videos. So, so it's how people can, how can I, to complain about. how can I help change people's lives right now? We donate all, we, we don't, um, we donate all, well, we say we donate all profits to charity, but we actually donate like almost all revenue to ch- like top line revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the channel makes 20 plus thousand dollars a month, but it profits much less than that. But we're still donating 20 plus thousand dollars a month right now. I want to maybe it's not just donating that, but using that for stuff like what he did, using that to find that doctor, to find someone where I can help. Make a wish would be fantastic. Like yeah. kids who just want to be in a, a Porsche 918 and just. Yeah. It, it, experience that the problem is that it's it's how do you you have to maintain viewers so the channel stays relevant yeah and so you can continue to grow it and earn more income so that i can help more and more people um so i i have a lot to figure out but i think we have the right personalities and and collection and like i think we'll get there and i i have them on like we talk with a lot of influencers and it's like it's fly by night it's like i don't know what i'm gonna do tomorrow but i'm gonna figure it out and i have them on like metrics i still keep it fun like we have a very laid back loose environment and we're actually our personalities are even more nuts in person than what people see on youtube where it's usually the opposite usually people Mm -hmm. amp up for youtube we have to like tone it down a little bit Mm -hmm. um but like we keep a strict metric we have our everything already filmed a month ahead of time you i think you said you don't you do similar or no that was me that was me that i actually asked but you may you may yeah i'm always usually a few days to a week in advance the podcast could be anywhere from one to eight weeks in advance gotcha yeah, Shmi was talking about how he plans things like yeah. months ahead of time. And we don't go that far, but we try to get a month with other stuff in the pipeline, pick days to schedule. It was Doug, too. Doug takes yeah. like three months yeah. off in the summer. Nice. Uh, and he has three months of content done yeah. in the pipeline, yeah. all scheduled, too. Smart. Which yeah. is so cool. So it just automatically yeah. posts without him even having we to do a single thing. We don't get that far ahead, yeah. but, but we also rate the content. And, it, and if it's going to be what we call three, that's our lower performer. I have them look at, a, and maybe you do similar, but I look at our total followers it's not just how many people view the video, it's how many it is relative to your follower account, right? Um, because you, someone could get a 20,000 view video and have 20,000 subs. That's a mm-hmm. really good performing video. That's 100% of your, your yep. sub count. Um, so we try to make sure that at least a third of our sub count watches a video. And if, and if it's not going to be that, it's not worth filming. But we want to make sure that two-thirds of the sub count. So right now we're at about 400,000. So I need, I need two, what is two-thirds of that? 66 times four, 265K. Mm-hmm. People need to basically watch that video or it's not really worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, 
bringing metrics, doing that, and you'd be surprised how, how effective it is bringing my business aspect into the YouTube channel as well. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah for automotive, I think that's absolutely doable. And I hear the, crowd, yeah. the, the automotive crowd, um, and there's probably significant overlap with what you do. It's probably the same demographic or very similar. But when I talk to people that, that make most of the money from brand endorsements, uh, they mention how there's a premium on viewership that is looking at automotive content. Those people are typically mm. willing to spend more. It's a different income bracket. So they can get two to three X um, what a channel that doesn't do automotive Interesting. does. I didn't, I didn't know that. It is a pretty yeah. targeted audience. So it's not yeah. only just like yeah. what it is, but it's also like, I know this guy who does like ride share type videos yeah. and he can get like crazy brand deals because you know, even if his, his view count is like 10, 20,000 views yeah. video, it's like, you know exactly who you're targeting yeah. to. And it's yeah. Yeah. A very, a very, uh, specialized audience. And, and the awesome side effect of this channel is like Fitment Industries and Custom Offsets or other companies, like it's hard to get our foot in the door with big influencers. Like we're like, hey, you know how you get the message in Instagram? Like I've got this business. Like I'd, yeah. I'd like to test out this this metric thing. Like nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear from a business. But when I'm like, hey, I'm Steve from the Hamilton Collection. Like we're not for profit. Like you want to come drive a supercar or hypercar sometime? Like get my foot in the door with these with these people. And then uh, and then you know they they realize that hey we're we're a pretty okay group of people. And then I'm like, Hey, you know, if you guys want to uh, make some money and, and do some pitches for custom offsets, fitment industries, um, like honestly, James Strand, I'm like, this would be perfect for your mm -hmm. channel. Um, because he's doing, he's doing other things right now that, that clearly do well, but like wheel and tires is his, his watcher base are probably more interested in seeing that him advertising, showing them on his vehicle. Like that's actually good content. Um, so I found this like network of we've, we've made all these awesome connections with some really great influencers. And now we have all these guys pushing our product for money. Um, but it's, it's just pretty neat how this has opened yeah. the door up for all that. And it's, and it's overflowing into my wheel business and helping. Yeah. Me. I bet that would be a huge opportunity mm. for influencer marketing for you because it fits yeah. so perfectly. You're in it already. You're yep. a fellow creator and you run the business. Yeah. In the same field in the and same field, and, yeah. same field and, and demographic as, so I also push our business for, for free, obviously. And yeah. I try to, to sneak something in, into every video and there's a personal connection. It won't drop off. Like, there's always a drop off when people start pitching an ad, yeah. but we don't really see that because it's just so seamless and people know I'm the owner. So they know that I'm, it's not as much an ad more just me talking about like right. what I own, what I do. That I think is a fantastic opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? That's all I got really. Well, that's cool. We would love to come visit you. Like ideally I want to go and see the whole collection <clears throat> and actually do like a sit down there as well. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be fantastic. You're cool. certainly welcome. Anytime. The weather's warm in Chicago. There's only a few months of that, but yeah, right. you should we'll make it happen. June, cool. <laughs> June and beyond. Yes, right, sir. Deal. Thank you so much. Thank I you for having me. Coming on. Doing this, this late. I'm sure with the time difference and everything, it's uh, hard on all of us. I'm sure I'm just going to fall over at some point, but that's okay. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it together. You Thanks so much. Oh, you can really also get a free stock. It. You guys can have me on Instagram. All of your information will be linked down Instagram. below in the description. Stock. Thank you so much for watching all the way everybody. Thousand dollars until next in time. the description. <laughs> what just happened with you both talking know. at the same time?